Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, the Xbox One. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of September 19th, 2019, including Gears 5 has had a massively successful launch thanks to Xbox Game Pass. GameStop's newer store concepts have leaked online. E3 might be undergoing some major changes for 2020 and much more, so stay tuned. Let's start off this week's episode with a little bit of Gears 5 talk. Uh, before we jump into the news, I just want to share some initial thoughts and impressions on the game. I didn't really want to say much last week because last week the I, I, the game was only like kind of out. You know, it was that weird like uh, early access week, then the official launch. And I wanted to give listeners some time to kind of get through some of the game before really talking about it. At this point, I expected to be long past the campaign. Uh, but as life would have it, I've been extremely busy with who the fuck knows. I literally have like the most mundane life yet somehow have had a struggle finding the time to finish like a 10 hour campaign of gears of war five. So anyway, um, I'm pretty far into the game, but I figured, you know, if I'm not even done with the game, I'm sure there are a handful of other people who aren't as well. So rather than just jump in and do a full, uh, what I initially planned to do was, you know, like a full spoiler cast kind of at the end of the episode, I'm just going to do some initial, uh, impressions of the game. Um, as that's pretty much the only thing I've been playing this past week as I've had time to play, um, that being said, I have really enjoyed Gears 5 so far. Uh, I've enjoyed kind of savoring it, um, not really by choice, but so much by, you know, just the, the way my schedule's played out. Uh, but the game has really just kind of impressed me a lot in the sense that, um, I guess let's backtrack and say something to kind of put this into context. So for a lot of you may be familiar with the immensely popular game, a YouTuber, Video Game Donkey. He's one of my all-time favorite YouTubers. He's absolutely a joy to watch. He's so funny. Uh, his content's extremely creative and, and original, and it's just, he's an awesome, awesome YouTuber. But actually, a couple hours ago, he dropped this video talking about kind of the fall of Xbox. And, you know, I don't know to what extent he was really being serious as a lot of his content is humorous, but um, he made, he kind of harped on this idea that like a lot of Xbox's first party output in this Xbox One generation feels like Xbox 360 games with like a modern coat of paint. You know, they're really beautiful looking games. They're very next gen looking uh, and feeling maybe, but the the kind of evolution of where games have gone in the past 10 years doesn't really seem to translate to the Xbox One exclusive library, which is like, you know, your Gears 4 or 5, your Halo Infinites, your, your Forza games, Sunset Overdrive, Quantum Break, whatever it is, you know? And I kind of took issue with this with this I, this argument uh, of his because I'm a little conflicted, right? Because from a, a part of me totally understands where he's coming from, right? Because you can look at the PlayStation Three, right? Look at launch games like the first Resistance, Fall of Man. Uh, look at like Uncharted One compared to where Uncharted Four is. PlayStation games in the past 12, 10 to twelve years have made massive leaps in terms of quality and just 
groundbreaking kind of uh, storytelling and gameplay aspects. You see games like Uncharted 1 to The Last of Us, you're like, holy shit, Naughty Dog has clearly grown and evolved so much and really pushed the boundaries of what a first-party AAA video game can be. Conversely, you look at a studio like Bungie uh, and then 343 who make, you know, Xbox's biggest exclusive Halo, and you go, well, 2007, early off in the Xbox 360 generation, they released Halo 3, which is arguably the greatest, most impressive Halo game to date. And then fast forward to like 2015, you get 343's Halo 5, which despite me personally being a massive Halo 5 fan, I can't, you know, dispute the fact that the majority of players out there are extremely disappointed with that game, mostly for its, as as others would put it, lackluster campaign um, and just kind of... At best, it feels like more Halo rather than this natural groundbreaking push to what the Halo franchise can be. And so a part of me wants, that's a very long-winded way of saying, a part of me wants to say, I can see where they're coming from with that kind of perspective and argument, but at the same time, I I just don't buy it because I play, I play you know, these modern games that the, this generation's like biggest, most remembered games. For example, Zelda Breath of the Wild. I play that game. I understand it's everyone's 2017 game of the year. It's a, it's an, it's an incredible game, whatever, what have you. I fail to see what makes that game so groundbreaking. If you're going to say Zelda Breath of the Wild is extremely transformative for the Zelda franchise, I can't argue with that. It's extremely, it's extremely different and innovative for Zelda. But I don't really see how a game like Breath of the Wild or Bloodborne or uh, God of War PS4 is redefining, you know, what a video game can be. I'll, I'll admit there are aspects of these games that are incredible. For example, God of War 2018, one of my favorite games of last year. Other than its story being incredibly immersive, incredibly captivating, and me really falling in love with that game for that reason alone, I can't say just from a moment-to-moment gameplay perspective and visual perspective that that game is any more amazing of a game than a game like Gears 5, which I would argue does to Gears of War what God of War does for God of War. You know, meaning that, you know, go look at God of War on the PS2, the, the original God of War, and then go play the reboot kind of spiritual successor God of War 2018. Obviously, that franchise has come such a long way. Now, you might look at a game like 2006's Gears of War 1 and compare it to Gears 5 and say, but you see how Gears 5 is just more Gears of War. It's not really pushing the envelope and and really like boundary breaking, you know, our concept of what these third person cover based shooters can be. I argue that Gears 5, you know, in my experience, having having only played about 10 hours of it between multiplayer and campaign, I'd argue it kind of does that for Gears 5 or for the Gears of War franchise, rather. Meaning... Gears 5 is an extremely immersive and story-driven game. And so much so, and the reason why I defend it in this way is because I've said on the show before, I was not a big Gears of War fan, you know, growing up in in, in my high school days, you know, my, my late middle school, high school days when the original Gears of War trilogy was running. I, I tried to play it. I pushed myself through the first one. I tried to play the second one and gave up. It just wasn't my thing. And then, you know, a couple years after Gears 4 came out, I went back and gave it a try uh, thanks to Game Pass, and I just fell in love with Gears 4. And then this summer, you know, leading up to my anticipation for Gears 5, I replayed Gears 2. I went back, I told myself, maybe I like these older games now. I forced myself to play Gears 2, and I've got to be honest with you, although I like it more now as an adult than I did back in you know, middle school, high school, I still don't think Gears 2 is all that great. I recognize its importance for, you know, 2009 or 2008 or whenever it came out, but I still stand by, you know, Gears of War 2 is just not my cup of tea, but somehow Gears of War 4 and 5 are. So 
what gives, right? And I really think it is not just the fact that obviously the coalition has perfected by this point the the feel of a Gears of War game and the the like variety of combat scenarios and types of gameplay and all that stuff, but just for the story aspect alone, I really care about the characters in the in in the modern Gears of War story. You know, JD, Dell, and of course Kate especially. I really am invested in these characters. I really care about their story, and it it's. Above all the gameplay improvements that Gears of War 5 includes, which are, are, are many, I might add, uh, what really captures me in that game is the characters and the story. So I kind of, in one part of me, I, I could understand from how like an objective, like outsider's perspective looking in, you might say, well, look at Gears of War 1 and look at Gears 5. That franchise clearly hasn't evolved the way like 2002's God of War and 2018's God of War have evolved, right? And I can see why you would say that because they just look so different. One looks like such a massive leap forward, not just graphically, uh, but just in the way the game plays, in the concept of what the moment-to-moment gameplay is, and the way it tells its story, and how immersive and groundbreaking it is. I totally see that. But if you play all these games, I don't know that you can stand by that argument. I don't know that that argument really holds any water because I just played Gears of War 2 a few months ago. I'm playing Gears 5 right now. I cannot stress how different these games are from one another and how innovative Gears 5 feels. And I guess, you know, that's an extremely long tangent to say I really think that Xbox kind of gets the short stick, you know, with this argument. It's kind of that thing I've been arguing for a long time, which is that, you know, Nintendo gets a lot of credit and a lot of too much of a bump and too much slack because they're Nintendo and they've got everyone's nostalgia by the balls, right? And then Sony's getting there, you know, Sony PlayStation as a brand is getting older now and people are starting to feel that way for PlayStation. Plus, you know, they've had, they've been around longer than Xbox and they've just, other than a little bit of a stumble for those early PS3 years, PlayStation's just been hit after hit after hit with games and consoles and everything. And I don't mean to fall, I'm not, you know, I'm, no, Sony deserves that because the PlayStation brand is a great brand and those those consoles have been great and their first party output has been great. But, you know, I just think Xbox always gets the short end of the stick. If there are only three players, someone's got to be on top, someone's got to be on the bottom. And it just, especially this generation, is always Xbox. And it's because they came out the gate stumbling. They don't have the diverse portfolio of first-party content the way Nintendo historically does, the way Sony currently does. I would argue that Nintendo sucks when it comes to diversifying their portfolio yes play a game like smash bros and you'll be mind blown at how many characters nintendo owns but they just harp on the same ones over and over again all we ever get is zelda mario yoshi donkey kong i can't believe we're finally getting another metroid animal crossing pokemon whatever you know but it's like it'd be as if like imagine if all disney ever did was just make sequels to the same four franchises ever and always like over and over again now, I mean, arguably, that's kind of what they're doing these days, especially with Pixar, but that's not historically been the case. I argue that Nintendo, if anything, is the most stale of the companies because they just keep making the same games over and over again. Now, you know, Mario Odyssey, Zelda the Breath of the Wild, these games are incredible. I mean, I agree that they're very fun games. I agree that they're very good games, but I don't know that I look at a game like Breath of the Wild and say, a game like this couldn't have been pulled off 10 years ago. I, I really think, you know, if Nintendo wanted to make Breath of the Wild in 2010, they could have. They absolutely could have. You know, fucking Bethesda made Skyrim in 2011. So what's your excuse, Nintendo? But for some reason, they get the Nintendo bub. Uh, we all decide for some fucking reason that Breath of the Wild is the greatest thing. It's the second coming of Christ. Uh, it's 10 out of 10. It's bullshit. You know, I mean, I played that game for 60 hours. That game's, it's great. I'm not going to lie, but it's not game of the year, 10 out of 10 quality. If that's your personal opinion, you're more than welcome to have it, but... I just don't I don't buy this this kind of this incoherent like 
idea that just because Gears 5 doesn't look from the outside like the biggest move for the franchise mean that, you know, Gears of War is stale and just kind of a, a, a reincarnation of what it's always been. Whereas just because, you know, Breath of the Wild looks like such a departure from what Zelda was, you know, 15, 20, 30 years ago, you know, mean that like all of a sudden Zelda deserves all this like pat on the back and praise. I just don't think by deviating from what it's traditionally been as a genre or as a franchise means that that new incarnation of that franchise is inherently more groundbreaking or futuristic or just uh, innovative. I just don't buy that. Um, and, you know, if anything, Mario is the is the way, the barometer in which that should be measured, right? Because, yeah, Mario Odyssey, in a way, is unlike any Mario game we've ever had before. That being said, when you really combine the elements of Mario Galaxy or Mario Odyssey that are similar to Mario 64, Mario Sunshine, Mario Galaxy, it's not that different of a Mario game. I mean, it plenty of new elements, but it's not like wow, I could have never seen this game coming. Nintendo, I couldn't imagine Nintendo would be capable of pushing the boundaries of Mario like this. It's really not. I just don't see it. But somehow Mario keeps getting the 10 out of 10 bump, the greatest game of all time bump. And, you know, again, to back myself up, Mario is my favorite franchise of all time. I love Mario. But it's unfair that, you know, Mario gets that pass and then 343 comes out and says, here's Halo 5. We really tried to innovate and make this the best Halo it's ever been. And everyone says, you know, Worst Halo campaign ever of, of all time. The Halo's getting stale at this point. It's just more Halo. You know, where? why is this not like The Last of Us? Why is this not like Breath of the Wild? I call bullshit on this whole argument. So I know I, I said this was going to be kind of my early impressions of Gears 5, but I just feel like that conversation has to be had to put Gears 5 into context because it's really quite unfair, in my opinion, that Xbox gets this rep at this at this point in their in in the brand's history as just being stale. I will admit, yes, absolutely, Microsoft has been slow with the first party output, but that's exactly what they're addressing by all these studio acquisitions they've made in recent history. That's exactly what we're gearing up to solve in the next generation of Xbox. But yes, I will absolutely give you. There's no way I can argue this. The Xbox One generation has been an incredibly slow generation in terms of first party output. But I would argue that first-party output quality has been top-notch. I just, I mean, I played, Gear, like I said, I played Gears 2 a couple months ago. I'm playing Gears 5 now. Though Gears 5 is such an evolution and such a major milestone for that franchise. Uh, at, at the very least, it's as much a jump for Gears 5 as, you know, Breath of the Wild is for Zelda or God of War is for God of War. Just because it's still a third-person cover-based shooter doesn't mean, you know, they didn't push it far enough, you know? They didn't have to make it an open world game. They didn't have to put side quests and uh, an incoherent story about anime Zelda and all that bullshit in order to make it an innovative Gears of War game. They They just made it the best Gears of War it's ever been, and they added enough gameplay tweaks to make it just, I, I mean, in my opinion, the greatest Gears of War game ever made. So I just, I just don't really, I, I don't know, I, it, it just aggravates me because it's, again, it's it's a little bit of that people have their allegiance with certain brands based on their nostalgia and their fanboyism towards their brand. You know, in to be transparent, this is an Xbox podcast hosted by a guy who's an Xbox fan, but in, in you know, in actuality, I'm a video game fan. I own all the consoles. I play all the consoles. I've always been a huge Nintendo fan. I grew up a, a diehard Nintendo fan, but I just think we got to cut the bullshit and stop trying to arbitrarily pick sides and really be honest with ourselves. And I, I think if we're being honest, other than Xbox being having less first-party content overall this generation, I think the quality is there, and I just hate that 
Gears 5, I, I can just feel it like deep in my balls that Gears 5 is going to be remembered with this kind of Halo 5 or, or kind of Xbox negative lens of, you know, well, it's not innovative enough. It's not groundbreaking enough. It's not next gen enough. And I just think that's bullshit. That being said, my quick impressions on Gears 5, like I said, it's incredible. The story is what moves it. The characters are what moves it. And the gameplay is definitely evolved enough. Aside from just, you know, awesome new weapons being added to the game, uh, diverse environments to explore and play in. They just, they really, they really did some awesome stuff like the stealth where you can kind of approach combat scenarios in new and unique ways with your more stealth options that aren't shoehorned in there, but they feel natural and they feel optional, which is just kind of a hard thing to get that balance right, but the, it works in the game. And then you have like those skiff moments in chapters uh, in Acts 2 and 3 where there's like these almost like Rise of the Tomb Raider kind of environments where it's like open world-esque, but it's not an open world game and there's like room for exploration and subside content but it's optional and doesn't feel too open. It doesn't feel like they're trying to change the genre just for the sake of bending the knee to like the modern conventions of popular games. It just really feels natural for the Gears of War universe. And I really think, you know, just it really helps spice up the gameplay and keep it fresh. And also just these kinds of like slower lull moments in the game really help to have to kind of space out the important events narratively of the game and to kind of flesh out the characters. Um, I mean, if you play the game, again, without getting into any like, really spoilery, spoilery stuff, but Act 2 of the game takes place months after Act 1 of the game. And by having that kind of quasi-open-world-esque elements of the game, it really helps give that time for the characters to discuss with one another and for you to explore and to really make the game feel like the events of the first part and the second part are very spaced out in terms of time and and to really give you that that feeling that what you experience the first few hours of the game and then the later hours of the game are separated by months of time and not just you know the change of a scene so i think the coalition does an excellent job of using that gameplay mechanic to help serve the narrative and if you want to again make that argument that gears isn't next gen enough or that xbox first party games aren't pushing boundaries enough i would point to this i would point to these kinds of aspects to say Look at how there's look at how the coalition so smartly uses these new aspects of the gameplay to serve the narrative and it works so well. I just think it's such a it's such a fun game. The new enemy types are awesome. The dialogue is fun. It has its like kind of action B-movie moments, which is a staple for the Gears of War franchise, but it also has some heavy emotion moments where you really are invested in these characters and you care about what's going on and you want to see you want to see them pull through and you want to see good happen and it's just it's a it's a roller coaster of a story, and it's in, and I'm deeply invested in it, and I just I'm a huge fan. Uh, multiplayer wise, you know, I as someone who hasn't played too much Gears multiplayer throughout their life, mostly the most Gears of War multiplayer I've ever played uh, was actually Gears Four. So I will just say it feels like more Gears of War multiplayer. Um, of course, you know, if you want to judge the game purely from a multiplayer aspect, I guess you could say Gears Five is just more of the same. Uh, but I mean that in the best way possible. Gears Five multiplayer is extremely fun. The new escape mode is awesome. I've only played it for like 45 minutes to an hour, but it was a, a lot of fun. It's a really nice mode to kind of, it, it's very complimentary to the combination of Horde, classic multiplayer, and now escape. You have this mode where it's kind of survive as long as you can. You have that classic deathmatch, and then you have more of like an objective-based uh, kind of short burst kind of gameplay uh, multiplayer mode so you just have like the long form stuff the classic multiplayer stuff the 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 shorter burst multiplayer stuff i uh, just i think it's a really great multiplayer package so 
I'll get more into specifics next week when I feel like everyone's uh, played more of the game and when I know I myself have finished the game. So, uh, But that's just where I want to start this week off, which I know is you know just a, a massive big chunk of the first part of the show. But we'll get into the news now. Um, sorry if that seemed a little like rambly and incoherent, but that's just something that was on my mind. And I feel like a lot of Xbox gamers probably feel similarly and have a similar sentiment to some extent. Uh, and if that's the case, I'd love to hear what you have to say or think about that because I mean, Xbox, you know, like I, I can't, I can't deny I'm a, I'm a, a big fan of the Xbox brand and I want to see this brand succeed. I, I, again, I love like, look at Phil Spencer. I love his vision for this this brand and where this brand's heading and the hard work that these this team at Xbox has put into this brand and making it the best it can be. I would hate to see a future where, you know, I don't think this is going to happen, but I would hate to see a future where Xbox becomes the next Sega and they just kind of fall out of the fold because it's such a competitive market and, you know, the popular opinion is that Xbox is lame, Xbox is weak, and we kind of bully and push and move Xbox out of the fold because it's it's a really special brand that's really contributed so much to the the games industry as a whole. I mean, just look at Xbox Live. Uh, and I just I just want to see them succeed. And I just really think they deserve the respect and the t- acknowledgement they've earned and they've worked so hard for. And I just I hate to see the conversation be fixated on, you know, well, Gears 5 isn't enough to really push this platform forward it's not innovative enough and I'll, I'll get off my soapbox now i'm sorry but you know just if i'm sure you you understand to some extent what i'm saying i'm sure uh, but we'll move on with this week's news um we have a, a decent amount of it so 20 minutes into the show uh let's let's jump into what's going on in the world of xbox this week all right so as much as i said we were going to get away from the gears 5 stuff and get into the news it looks like this week's first news story is actually all about gears 5 uh, but it is a quick one so let's move through it uh, and that is that gears 5 has had the biggest first party launch for the xbox uh in terms of player count since halo 4 was released back in november of 2012 the game has also doubled the first week's debut of 2016's gears of war 4 according to xbox wire Gears 5 is now the biggest launch week of any Xbox Game Studios title uh, this generation, with over 3 million players trying out the game from September 6, which was the early access uh, through this past weekend. On the PC front, Gears 5 has become the biggest Xbox Game Pass launch on the platform and Microsoft's best ever first party launch on Steam. It has also tripled the performance of Gears of War 4 on PC. Though this should come as no surprise, seeing as Microsoft has only recently jumped on using Steam and Game Pass has only been on PC for a couple months. All right, this is where we say thank you, Game Pass, because obviously, you know, this is all due in part to uh, Game Pass or not due in part, due entirely to Game Pass, uh, because which we'll get into in a little bit. This should come, of course, as no surprise, because obviously the big attraction to game pass is when these big triple a xbox exclusive titles come out and microsoft says you want to play it give us 10 bucks for game pass and it's all yours plus when they're running deals like two dollars gets you two months of xbox game pass ultimate it doesn't hurt you know getting people jumping on board so just three million players uh surprise me across xbox and pc just for game pass alone no not at all um in fact it's it's a pretty awesome uh, for Game Pass, um, but in terms of you know Gears Five, it just I, I don't know that mo- that number doesn't impress me or move me in any way. Um, what'll be impressive as a result of this is does Gears of does Gears Five help keep that Game Pass bump that I'm sure they just got? Does it help keep it up up? 
Uh, of course, you know, in a couple months, I, I suspect Game Pass will see a bit of a drop off in subscribers as, you know, Gears 5 becomes older and and there becomes kind of that drought again in first party content on Game Pass, um, despite, you know, games like Outer Worlds coming soon and things like that. However, you know, I, I think obviously, as is the case with any subscription service, you know, they're they're really banking on people subscribe they realize that they're not missing the 10 to 15 bucks a month and they kind of forget to unsubscribe and just have it and live with it. It's how Netflix kind of crept into all of our lives, right? We said, hey, 10 bucks, seven bucks, eight bucks, whatever it is a month. That's not too bad. We subscribed, we watched, we binge watched all of King of the Hill or whatever the hell it was for a month. And then we kind of forgot about Netflix. We realized that eight bucks a month wasn't really breaking the bank and never really took the time to unsubscribe. Fast forward 10 years later and we're all still Netflix subscribers. So I think, you know, as again, as the case with any subscription service, that's kind of what Microsoft is banking on. So they see the way I interpret this is they see things like uh, releases for games like Gears of War 5, not so much as an opportunity to sell $60 copies of Gears of War, but rather as an opportunity to really bump up the subscriber base of Xbox Game Pass and then hopefully have that subscriber base stick at that number as much as possible. Uh, Of course, you've got to take into account there's going to be drop-off when you're doing something like promoting Game Pass for $2 for two months, releasing a brand new AAA game, and then you know a month later, Game Pass is back at its regular price. Uh, There's no new AAA game out free on Game Pass, so expect that, but... I'm again of of all things. I'm less interested in how Gears Five is performing, uh, and more interested in how Gears Five is helping Game Pass, which is really what the first party library and lineup is now about doing. It's not about again. It's not about selling physical copies or digital copies of games. It's about getting Game Pass subscription numbers up, uh, which I think we'll continue to see. I mean. <laughs> Game Pass is by far the most enticing of all these subscription services for games. It's the most robust. I won't I won't be surprised if Game Pass alone is the thing that salvages the Xbox brand, you know, going forward as it just continues to become more and more uh, enticing to the consumer um, with not only just whatever Xbox's first party lineup is, but all the third party content that's on there as well. Um, so that's great news for Game Pass. It's great news for the coalition. Uh, you know, congrats to the coalition that they've had over 3 million people try out their games and their, their brand new game in a week. Um, they deserve all the love and support that they can get because as I said, the top Gears 5 is awesome. So there's that. Our next story is a little bit of a sad one for me, and it is that uh, that new Resident Evil spinoff game that was teased last week. Well, it's been officially revealed, and it seems that it is exactly what I hoped it wouldn't be. Resident Evil Project Resistance is a 4v1 asymmetrical multiplayer game in which four players work together to escape the mastermind player because Dead by Daylight, because Friday the 13th, because fuck you. Uh, The game takes place on the outskirts of Raccoon City. The, quote, survivor characters are controlled by players who must work together and escape three levels, all while overcoming the zombies and traps placed by the fifth player who's playing the mastermind. Uh, A closed beta is scheduled for, like, October 4th through October 7th. And if you're interested, you can sign up for the beta uh, on, on September 12th through 19th or something. I guess that's kind of over by the time you're listening to this podcast, but there's a you know, whatever. I guess you can retroactively sign up for it if you got a time machine or some bullshit like that. Um, so yeah, again, I mean, not to discredit a game that I haven't really seen or played, but I was really hoping for like kind of a Resident Evil Left 4 Dead kind of game, but now it seems like it's Resident Evil's take on a Dead by Daylight Evolve of Friday the 13th because these 4v1 kind of multiplayer games keep 
existing despite the fact that I don't care about them. It's almost as if game developers and publishers aren't making each and every game with me and only me in mind. So it's just imagine that. But if that's your cup of tea, I highly recommend you check that out. During TGS, they released some more footage of what that looks like. Um, and if that's your sort of thing, maybe you're excited for it. Good for you. Um, I, on the other hand, will just keep holding out for the never coming uh, Left 4 Dead 3. All right, our next story is that uh, the Game Awards will be returning for its fifth anniversary on December 12th, as announced by show producer Jeff Keighley. The show will be held in L.A. in the Microsoft Theater and expect a lot of announcements during that. So, yeah, if you've never seen the Game Awards, it's kind of like the video games industry's uh, Oscars happens every every December. Um, and I, I think it's a really fun time. It's kind of it's kind of nice when you got E3 kind of in the summer, early summer part of the year. And then you got the Game Awards in the early kind of winter part of the year, late fall part of the year. So you kind of get those things perfectly on each each half of the year. Um, and it's a, not only a fun way to kind of celebrate a year in review and to kind of look back on all the games of the year and award, you know, each game and, and reflect and enjoy all that. But it's it's also like a, a mini E3 or something where, you know, you get some fun announcements and some games get announced, some DLC gets announced, and, and we always learn a thing or two. So it's, it's always fun. Uh, and if none of that is enticing to you, at the very least, take comfort in knowing that the Game Awards usually yields a good meme or two uh, uh, as a result of some cringy thing happening during the show. So there's that to look forward to as well. Um, but yeah, I just like the idea of, you know, the video game industry being such a cutthroat, shitty, like everyone's such a dick to each other kind of uh, fandom. I, I really appreciate this event that's all about kind of bringing people together, celebrating certain individuals and teams within the industry, and then also just kind of reflecting back and celebrating the art and that uh, the things that kind of really stood out and cemented that year in gaming. So be sure to tune into that on December 12th. I know I will be, and then that will yield some new information for the podcast that week because we will surely get some more news. Keep in mind, last year at the Game Awards, that's when we uh, got the announcement of the Outer Worlds, uh, which was, you know, despite being multi-platform, is technically a game from a, a Xbox-owned studio. So who knows? Maybe we'll get some some new announcements from Microsoft this year. That'd be really exciting. Usually between Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo, the big three all have at least one thing to announce generally. Not always a massive thing, but moving on. But keeping with um, game shows, it looks like, you know, gamesdaily.biz has reported that the ESA is looking to turn E3, uh, you know, the big convention, the the end-all, be-all convention that takes place in LA every every June. Uh, They're looking to turn it into more of a fan-focused event veering away more from its trade show oriented roots and targeting more of an influencer slash convention style crowd if this move is to be made a disney park style fast pass style queue system could be implemented uh, making the event more enjoyable for its more consumer focused future the event is looking to expand e3 to over 10,000 outside guests in 2020 and focusing more on celebrity and influencer appearances and more so than focusing on like real retailers and publishers this is all just kind of speculation and, and rumor reporting from insiders right now but it seems like publishers are actually in talks with esa trying to pu- push to make something like this happening or make something like this happen rather i see this as a good thing i see e3 as something that's kind of waned in relevance in recent years and this is you know this is e3 kind of doing what we see GameStop doing, what we see a lot of corners of the industry having to do as we move into this new age where influencers are, are are the most important voice in the community and where we download and stream and our games now and just things are different, right? So we need the industry to evolve 
with the rest of all the innovations uh, happening around us. So the reason why I see this as a good thing uh, is because you, you see an event like E3 and you think, well, initially an event like this is about, it's about two things, right? It's about publishers having a chance to take retailers and publisher or retailers and investors and saying, here's a project we're working on. This is why you should care about this game, this console, this peripheral. This is why you should buy a lot of it or invest in our product and think that we're worthy or we're on top in the games industry and we have something worth taking note of, right? And then to the media, it's it's always been an event of saying, here's what we're working on. Here's what we want you to share with the rest of the outside world, right? And in both regards, that kind of need for E3 to be that event has become somewhat antiquated, right? As we move into more of a model where people are playing their games by streaming them, by downloading them, you know, we're not going out to your Walmarts and, and Targets as much anymore and buying physical video games. Um, so it's just not as necessary these days for for publishers to be trying to entice retailers in, in, in big names to kind of invest in their products. It's also less important for us to be catering to the media as we see media kind of plateau a little bit in terms of their relevancy and their reach with the public. And we see the real influence be the YouTubers and the bloggers and, and what have you and the streamers of the video game world as they kind of are the voices that the, the public seems to respect and take to the most. So by focusing on where the audience currently is, you know, it, it'll help E3 to adapt and kind of evolve. The other thing is, I think just historically, everyone's always wanted to go to E3. So why not make it more of an open public event uh, where, where attendees can can pay the money and fly out to LA and go attend E3 like they would at PAX or Gamescom rather than keeping it kind of locked out to the media. Um, so in all those regards, I just see this as like the natural evolution for E3. It's a good way for them to kind of be able to make those those necessary moves in order to stay relevant and to keep the event as as important as it's always been. So this is, I don't know, this is really cool. And then additionally, this kind of Q system, uh, which they're calling Qtainment, uh, because, you, you know, cancer, would essentially be like, you know, Disney's fast pass system, but for E3. And this is important, you know, not that I've ever been to E3, but people spend half a day, a full day waiting in line to do one thing. And this is a very, very good way to help you know, visitors be able to attend more aspects of the event to see more games, to do more things, and to have ultimately more things to share with their social media following, their YouTube following, and just by having this kind of more spread out crowd and this ability to see more and do more while while not having to wait in line as much, um, this will just help to make this new crowd focused on, you know, outside attendees and influencers and celebrities to kind of have more to say on E3 in general. Um, so I see this is a, as a good thing. Again, this isn't like a guaranteed uh, move that they're going to make, but I don't see why they wouldn't really push for something like this because I, I think E3 has been slowly waning in popularity and this is exactly what E3 needs to kind of remain more relevant. Although I'm sure uh, there are a lot of media that aren't quite as uh, enthusiastic about something like this happening because, you know, E3 is already hard enough to cover as it is without letting 10,000 more outsiders into the event. But, you know, whatever. Our next story is from Windows Central, and it is that after initially announcing that tickets for XO19 would go on sale on September 24th, Microsoft has announced today, Microsoft has announced that they will be instead uh, commencing sales on October 1st. 
Xbox fans who are interested in attending this year's event in London will be able to snag tickets starting at 2 p.m. on October 1st for 19 euros or whatever the hell that is in real dollars. Uh, XO19 is set to run from November 14th through November 16th at Copper Box Arena in London. Microsoft will kick off the event with a new episode of Inside Xbox on November 14th as there are plenty of premieres and reveals planned for the show. The rest of the event will be a celebration of everything Xbox with plenty for fans to check out during its uh, duration. During the event, Microsoft is expecting to show never-before-seen playable demos, developer panels, and other experiences. And please, for the love of God, just do one of these events one of these years in in the U.S. so I can go to it. But yeah, if you're planning on attending XO19, if you're planning on attending the event, just know that the dates for ticket sales have changed a little bit, uh, and that's something to be aware of uh, for all you lucky people that live in London or are going to London for this event or what have you. Um, so that's just kind of a short one. I really wish Microsoft would just make that more of like a concrete annual thing, uh, like like what Sony was kind of doing with with PSX for like the two years they did that. But you know, whatever. It's it's really cool that they do it in a different country every year to kind of cater to Xbox fans around the globe. I think it's really important for Xbox to do that because you know it's a brand that's so heavily rooted, deeply rooted in North America and like Australia almost exclusively. So for them to kind of be able to focus in different parts of the world is really helpful. Although, you know, historically they've done, or we've seen them do like London and Mexico, which are countries where, or England and Mexico, which are countries where Xbox tends to do well anyway. But I like the idea of Xbox kind of reaching out and planting their flag in other countries a little bit with this event. Although, you know, the selfish American exceptionalist in me would just like the event to conveniently be here in Florida every year. Um, but anyway, moving on, uh, the NPD numbers for the month of August 2019 um, are in. And as usual for every August, it looks like Madden football has topped the charts for its release month. As reported by the NPD group, Madden is now the third best selling game of 2019, trailing behind Kingdom Hearts 3 and Mortal Kombat 11. Minecraft, interestingly, has also had the all-time placement on the uh, NPD best-selling charts, coming in as the second best-selling game for the month of August, because who the fuck knows why. The top 10 best-selling games in August were in order. 1. Madden NFL 20. Minecraft at 2. 3. is Grand Theft Auto 5. 4. is Fire Emblem 3 Houses. 5. Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. 6. Super Mario Maker 2. 7. Mario Kart 8. 8. Mortal Kombat 11. 9, Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Siege, and 10, Astral Chain. My god, this is just incredible. First of all, Madden hitting the number one spot, that's no surprise. Um, Madden always sells incredibly well, especially in its first month, Uh, so it's no surprise to see that in a slower month, Madden has hit the number one spot. That that does nothing for me. However, Minecraft at number two makes no fucking sense. You want to know what Minecraft news happened in August Let's rewind a couple weeks. This is all the Minecraft news that we had we had in the month of August 2019. Minecraft Super Graphics whatever pack has been canceled. The result? Minecraft sales go up, charting the game at number two on NPD. I mean, this game's 10 years old, and it's the second best-selling game of the month. Granted, you know, August 2019 was a generally low-selling month overall for, for the year. You know, it's kind of a lull in the, in, in the, in the year. Uh, for game sales and everything, but holy shit, Minecraft is at second place. Grand Theft Auto Five is at third place. I just I don't understand what's happening. Why are you guys not playing Red Dead Redemption Two? It's way newer. How how does everyone in the fucking world and their grandmother not own 
a copy of Grand Theft Auto V in Minecraft at this point. Like, I just don't understand what's happening. I feel like there are kids out there with their parents' credit card who are just constantly buying Minecraft like once a week. I just don't, I don't understand it. You know, I mean, I'm guilty of having a couple copies of it. It's pre-installed on my Windows computer. Uh, it's, uh, I got it on my Xbox 360, then I got it again on my Xbox One. But, you know, other, I mean, is that what everyone's doing? They're just buying so many copies of this game. Do, do they count every sale of a Windows computer as a, as a Minecraft sale? Is that what's happening since it's generally preloaded on Windows 10 PCs? Like, I just don't get what's happening. But, you know, Minecraft. Additionally, you know, worth noting is Nintendo's eating up a lot of the top 10, something we didn't see a lot in the Wii U days, but we're seeing a lot now that the Switch is cool and relevant. Uh, Fire Emblem, Smash Bros. Ultimate, Mario Maker 2, Mario Kart 8, all on the top 10 list. Mario Kart 8 being a remake of a game from 2014, and this remake came out, you know, two years ago, so that's impressive to see that the number 7 spot. Um, but you know, that's the Nintendo thing is their games just, they just have, especially Mario games or Smash Bros or Mario Kart. They just, they have that longevity with sales. They just stay charting forever. That's why Nintendo gets away with charging $60 for a game, even five years after it came out, because this is what happens. People just buy that, that shit forever, which is awesome for them, you know, but it'll be interesting to see when the September numbers come out, if Gears 5 has any relevancy on that chart. Um, because Game Pass. I'm sure it will chart very poorly due to Game Pass, um, but again, interesting to see. Lastly, something worth noting, Control, a game I'm very excited to play, but I am boycotting until uh, I'm boycotting until it drops in price due to the content exclusivity on PS4. Uh, isn't even on the top 10, and it was like the biggest, like, quote, gamer game, you know, of August, and didn't even hit the top 10, so, you know, got outsold by Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Siege. Again, that's like three or four years old now, so I don't understand this world anymore. Good for you, Minecraft. You know, if um if all goes south with the Xbox brand, we we can count on Minecraft to single handedly keep that shit up forever. Our next story is um from directly from IGN. It is that a uh, a GameStop store in Pryor, Oklahoma, has posted a video tour of what looks like the new layout for the store. A source familiar with GameStop's operation, who's requested to remain anonymous, has confirmed that the store matches the blueprint layout of the redesign shown at GameStop's annual conference. IGN sources say that there's a test store in Oklahoma, the same state from which the video is from. Uh, a second source familiar with GameStop's future reboot plans uh, has said that the store will look like the one in the video, um, with some stores focusing more on like retro games or esports kind of here and there. Additionally, the new store appears to ditch the glossy black and white aesthetic of current GameStop locations, instead sporting a more muted gray aesthetic, uh, faux wood paneling, things like that, that kind of ugly modern design aesthetic that we see popping up everywhere that makes everything look cheap and ugly and boring and plain. Uh, if you need more examples of what I mean by that, go visit a new Disney theme park. Anyway, as well as small tables for video games, uh, apparel, and figures, there's a wall-mounted table in the store that customers can order from. There's also a sofa with an HDTV located in the middle of the store. Furthermore, if you go into the back of the store, you'll see CRT CRT TVs and tables, apparently used for tabletop gaming. This would align with GameStop's previously stated goals of turning the stores into event spaces where they could host live tournaments, live events, things like that. And lastly, I mean, so this seems pretty much in line with what GameStop recently kind of announced uh, in recent weeks about them potentially trying like to pivot uh, with some of these stores and, and build them into more of these like evergreen locations for all gaming related content. So rather than just being a place to go pre-order the new Madden, pre-order the new Call of Duty, buy a game, sell a console, whatever you do, 
Um, it's going to be a place where you can go play tabletop games, go play the Sega Genesis with your friends around the couch, go buy some snacks and, and drinks and and just dick around in the store, go do some esports tournaments, go do all types of things as well as buy novelty merch uh, that you would find in like a Hot Topic or some shit or you know, buy a Funko Pop, or buy the latest Call of Duty. It's kind of going to cater all these things. And if you watch the video, it's on it's on Facebook. If you just Google it, you'll find it. Um, or sorry, this is an Xbox podcast. If you Bing it, you'll find it. Um, but it's, uh, I mean, it looks kind of like in line with what I was picturing. Um, I don't know that this is enough to save GameStop. I feel like it's too little too late at this point. Um, but, you know, as someone who's always kind of hated GameStop, as I'm sure most people have, um, I, I gotta admit, I really like what they're attempting to do. I like the concept of this. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of gamers out there will probably be familiar with their local city or hometown, maybe having some kind of niche, like gamer bar or kind of tabletop gaming place. Um, but those things aren't as common or widespread, especially I'm sure in a lot of smaller towns and smaller cities across the country. So I really like the idea of GameStop kind of catering to this market so that more gamers and more players have an accessible store where they can do things like this and they can sit on the couch and play Sega Dreamcast or they can bring D&D over and, and get a couple Mountain Dews and potato chips and play a, play a cool game of D's and D's. So I, I really like the idea of this, but it, this is a, one of those only time will tell, you know, if this will work for GameStop. It seems like they're really trying to utilize that limited store space to fit all these different concepts into one spot you know it's a, it's a think geek it's a game store it's a retro game store it's a hangout spot it's everything all in one but i mean we'll see gamestop also announced they're closing a bunch of stores which they tried to write off as like uh, areas of opportunity but you know if you close 200 stores i i see that as nothing but a bad thing but we'll, we'll see we'll see i'm sure these retro stores are going to start launching pretty soon gamestop probably wants to get back into a, a place of sustainability as soon as possible so i assume this is something they're kind of rushing to market our next story is uh again from windows central and it is that ea and bioware's less than well-received shared world shooter anthem is getting some much loving some much-needed TLC and DLC, despite what some may have thought about the game's fate. Today, BioWare's head of live services, Chad Robertson, promised significant changes. However, he didn't exactly say just what those changes were. Robertson's statement on the new content is as follows. We hear your concerns on the issues in Anthem, and we are acting on it. Those systems require more thorough review and reworking versus quick fixes. We've got a team working on it now, and the early results are promising. In order to address the long-range plans, we are moving away from the uh, axe structures for updates. Instead, we will have additional seasons, seasonal updates planned for this year, and we think players will enjoy it. These events will deliver challenges and chases similar to what you've seen and are built around these fun themes we're bringing to the game. As I've said previously, we want to be transparent with you that we know more work needs to be done to make Anthem better. We also want to make sure that we're backing up our words with a great game that you can play. So I don't have any news today to share about the long-term changes we are bringing to Anthem. End quote. So who knows what any of that means, but hey, you know, Anthem's not dead yet. At this point, I really think Anthem is 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 not going to make it. I really don't. I think the community's quit on it. I don't think it's like Destiny where, you know, it had some shortcomings, it had some issues, but, you know, people saw the potential, people saw what was so great about the game and, and stuck with it anyway. Instead, I see Anthem as something where it's just not a great game and people want to hate EA 
and people are starting to get tired of Bioware and people are just not going to give this game the excuse and the chance to redeem itself and it's probably just kind of dead despite kind of selling initially well so EA is trying to make good on a promise to keep this game alive and well I think they're going to exhaust all their options so they can't be held you know no one can point the finger and say they didn't try and then they're going to cut their losses and say hey we sold a lot of copies of the game it wasn't a total loss but yeah let's move on to the next thing we're done with the sh- shared world uh, shooter bullcrap at this point. So Anthem, another update on that game that no one gives a shit about anymore. I never cared about it. Let's stop talking about it. Next up, Rockstar Games have announced that uh, a new launcher called Rockstar Games Launcher, a one-stop place to find all your favorite Rockstar games uh, like GTA and Red Dead Redemption. Buy games from the Rockstar directly from their service and even utilize their cloud save feature. Some games even support automatic updates. Download the program right now and receive a free digital copy of GTA San Andreas on PC to start building your collection. This is, um, not quite sure why they're doing this. You know, Rockstar doesn't release a lot of games, so it's surprising to me that they would uh, launch this. I, I don't know if this is supposed to be kind of more like a Steam service where they're going to try to get other kinds of games involved and it's going to be a platform to kind of compete with, like, the Epic Store or Steam, or if it's supposed to be more like the Halo launcher that's kind of going away where it's like your one-stop app to access all your Rockstar-related content where you can also conveniently buy Rockstar games. I just don't see in either sense where how this makes a lot of sense, seeing as, you know, Rockstar releases a game like once every five years, maybe. And just additionally, I just I don't really understand what this is about or what they're getting at. The only thing I can think of is as we see these Rockstar games kind of focus more and more on their online components like GTA Online and Red Dead Online. Maybe there's some Rockstar master plan that a launcher can cater to to kind of hone in on these communities and kind of help push each other and and kind of really, again, like focus on these communities. Maybe it's kind of like a Bungie.net thing uh, meets Halo launcher, but for Rockstar games. Um, but if this is to be seen as some kind of like Steam competitor, I really don't see what their end goal is here. Uh, this is just one of those like head scratchers that's like, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. But nonetheless, Rockstar Games is doing this and it's a thing and it's, um, I'm sorry, I wish I had more insight onto this, but that one I'm just kind of a little dumbfounded by, to be honest. All right, our next one here is that it appears that Minecraft just keeps quietly growing, as we mentioned during the NPD story, as the game now has amassed over 112 million players each month, which literally makes no sense to my fucking brain. Ever since Microsoft bought the franchise back in 2014, the game has continued to steadily increase in popularity over time, making it the number one most played game of all time. As I was saying the other week, Minecraft is still going strong. As I was saying during that story earlier in the show, Minecraft is just just slowly, quietly killing it. You know, we're all here talking about my, about Fortnite and things like that, but it seems like Minecraft is still where it's at, you know? So, nice little milestone for Minecraft. Not really much of a story, just kind of throw that little cherry on top. Again, you know, if, if all goes, like, south with the Xbox brand, they ever have to bail it, you know, at least they have Minecraft to fall back on. Minecraft is a... I feel like a lot of people were questioning Microsoft when they decided to buy Minecraft, but it's really paid off for them. So, you know, good for Minecraft, good for Xbox. And then our wrap-up story for this week comes directly from Windows Central, and it is that Microsoft Flight Simulator Microsoft Flight Simulator has opened up recruitment for its upcoming technical alpha for its inside testers. Registration is now open for the insider area of the Microsoft Flight Simulator website. There's no word just yet on when the testing will begin, but the team says that they will release more info on the releasing timeline in test goals on September 19th, uh, which is the day this podcast is going up. So keep an eye out for that. The following week on September 26th, the team plans, plans to share a preview of its feature 
feature discovery series. Um, so who knows what that means? But Microsoft Flight Simulator is a modern update to the classic game of the same name, featuring full flight simulation and a modern realist and modern realistic graphics. The game is expected to release in 2020 on Xbox One and PC. Because it is an Xbox Game Studios title, it'll also be on Game Pass. So look forward to that. You know, that's just one of those things I got to include as it's technically a Microsoft first party game, uh, despite being a pretty niche title. Um, so if you're interested in something like that, uh, keep an eye out for that information as it should be releasing today at the time of this podcast going up. Other than that, that is it for this week's news. Now we will wrap up the show with the game releases, the games with gold, uh, and uh, yeah. So this week there are a total of 11 new games coming to the Xbox One. And let's just jump right into them as we normally do. We will judge them entirely based on these screenshots. So our first game is We Were Here. Uh, now, this is a game that takes place in a church. It's We Were Here. I think it's basically kind of just playing to that idea that a lot of Christians, you know, go to church more out of obligation than than re- the religious fulfillment they extract from it. And so it's kind of saying, you know, hey, we, we were here if, if the priest ever calls attendance. Uh, and for some reason glosses over you and then tries to hold that over your head. It's, it's really a game of saying to the, the guys at the churches, hey, we were, we were here. So if you're a big Christian, uh, I recommend that game. Even if you're not a Christian, you're just like a fan of, uh, of justice, of, of just being accounted for, I think that's a good game for you to play. Uh, but what's really interesting is this next game because it's Bus Simulator. Um, so this game shows a picture of a bus. It's about to drive through a puddle, so I just hope that tire tread is pretty good and they're not going too fast so they don't hide your plane. Uh, but this is basically a game where you're going to drive a bus and you're going to simulate. I, I can't... I, the, the name confuses me a little bit. I can't tell if it's like a game where you you simulate driving the bus or being the bus. But if you are the bus, I think this is going to be a pretty tough game to play because humans just don't have those kinds of motor skills, no pun intended, to operate as a as a vehicle as opposed to humans. So I'll be really interested to see how that works mechanically. Um, if not, it could be interpreted as like bus simulator game where like you drive a bus, in which case that sounds pretty fucking boring because who the hell wants to drive a bus? Uh, but you can get that. It comes out September 17th, so it's already out. Stop listening to the show and go play it. Our next game is Rebel Cops. This is a top-down game. It's an indie game. And you know what I say about indie games? Don't support small business. Support big business. So, sorry, you're not big enough for me to to cover on my really important podcast. Oops, I I hit something. Our next game is called Stella. This game, it scares me a little bit. It's like a frozen meat locker with a hook hanging from the ceiling. There's a little girl bending down or a little creature bending down. Looks like she's, she's wounded, perhaps. And there's like this dark figure creeping into the room it looks like a shadowy figure uh with glowing eyes so that's that's a game it's probably a good christmas game honestly i'd recommend it for christmas time maybe download it now while it's xbox one x enhanced and then play it for christmas as it's a nice 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 game this next game is called mabel in the wood it looks kind of like celeste but only not good it shows a girl with uh, red hair it's like a 8-bit game and she's climbing on a snowy bridge and there's a guy with a staff on the other end looking at her and you know my whole thought is like why is that guy making that girl walk across the bridge to get to him why doesn't he walk over to her but then i thought you know i'm just being sexist it's 2019 a girl can walk across the bridge if she chooses she doesn't need a man to cross the bridge for her so that was just me being inconsiderate so i'm just going to try to save face and move on to the next game which is scheming through the zombie apocalypse the beginning which is a a, a a name and this is a video game and this picture we see like a very like flash art kind of um couple furries driving a 
uh, a mating machine busts driving through a city. This makes me super uncomfortable. Uh, and then one of the furries is saying to the other furry, oh, we're so dead, uh, which I guess is um, kind of a, a satire on the furry community where, like, you know, you're dead to the rest of the world because you're a fucking furry and you like having sex with animals and animal-like humans. So that's disgusting. I recommend you play that game if you're a furry. And if you're not a furry, I recommend you play it anyway just to kind of familiarize yourself with that community and to stop being such an ignorant um, uh, bigot and to kind of really open your mind to... Uh, furries and the rights they deserve as uh, as cross human animal hybrids. Uh, our next game is called Sally's Law, uh, which I I assume is like Murphy's Law. Uh, it's a it's a screenshot of like nothing and there's a ball and there's like a background and it's 2D and it looks like guacamole but not fun and it says my steps feel lighter the closer I get to home. So I assume this is like a game kind of about Fitbit, kind of about getting your daily steps in. So if you're a workout buff, I'm definitely gonna recommend this game to you. Uh, like sure you could wear a Fitbit in real life and try to get your steps day to day. Or you can play Sally's Law and get your steps in the game, which I assume is going to be a lot more efficient. Now, this next game is called Truck Driver. It looks the exact fucking same as Bus Driver, like down to like the aesthetic, the setting, everything. But one thing I will note is Truck Driver is Xbox One X enhanced, whereas Bus Simulator is not. Also, Truck Driver comes out on September 19th, whereas Bus Simulator comes out on September 17th. So my guess, you know, if I had to put my thinking cap on and really and really think critically about what's going on here, I would say that Truck Driver probably needed those extra two days to really work in all those Xbox One X enhancements, which is why it's coming out two, two days later. So if you can really exercise the, the restraint and the patience to wait for Truck Driver, I think it's really going to be worth your time because you're going to be able to drive uh, different kinds of trucks. You're going to be able to do it in an Xbox One X enhanced kind of way uh, whereas if you drive the bus simulator you know it's going to be it's going to be a bad time just because those graphics are just not going to be up to par so there's that um, so all you impatient fucks go play the bus one and then you real truckers out there play the truck driving game because that's what real men do this next game is called the sojourn which I got to admit I love that title because sojourn is one of my favorite words um, and this this game is also Xbox One X enhanced, which means not only is the title of the game enhancing my enjoyment of it, uh, but also the Xbox One X enhancement aspect is enhancing my enjoyment of it, which means this game is probably really enjoyable just based on those two facts alone. Meaning, you know, I sure I'll explain to you what the game is based on the screenshot, but I think I've already given you plenty of reasons to go drop 20 to 30 bucks on this game. But if you need more, I mean, the game is definitely about like windmills. There's a bunch of windmills attached to these floating mountains. Um, so it's probably like a crossover between like Don Quixote and like Avatar, um, James Cameron's Avatar and Don Quixote. So I think it's really important to kind of cross that American film with uh, that classic Spanish story. And what you get is this really when you when you cross two things like that, you're naturally going to get a really artistic indie game. So um, play that game for sure. That's going to be a really good time. Rebound Dodgeball Evolved is our next game. It looks like Tron meets Dodgeball meets ten dollar indie game meets meets iPhone game. Um, so that's the thing you can do. All I'll say about that is it's two to four players. It's Xbox One X enhanced, and there's a lot of Tron colors in that. And then finally, our last game of the month or the week of the month of the week of the week is called loading, loading, loading. It's called Niffenheim. Niffelheim. What the fuck? It's Xbox One X enhanced. It's out on September twentieth, and it features dragons. So this is probably some stupid like um, Game of Thrones game. Uh, where you play as uh, there's like a, a viking a dragon and i gotta be honest the proportions of this viking this dragon in relation to the castle 
are just totally out of whack. Either this is a extremely tiny castle, or uh, or these creatures are just extremely big. Maybe they're all giants. I don't fucking know. Uh, but you have healths and potions and stats, so I'm assuming it's some kind of RPG game, which means it's for fucking nerds, and I won't waste my time with it. However, it is Xbox One X enhanced, which at this point I'm starting to question what the fuck does that even mean, you know? Does it just mean it's a game on Xbox One X? I just, who, who fucking cares at this point? And then lastly, we'll wrap up the week by just reminding you what our games with gold are for the week. Again, you have Hitman the Complete first season. This is available all throughout the month of September on Xbox One. We have We Were Here available for the second half of September, starting on the 16th, going into the first half of October through the 15th. And then lastly, we've got, uh, or wrapping up, we've got Earth Defense Force 25, 2025, uh, which is a 360 game that's backwards compatibility, that's backwards compatible. Um, the thing about this game is you can no longer get it because it, it, it went away on September 15th, so fuck you. And then lastly, we got Tekken Tag Tournament 2, which is available starting on the 16th and running through the 30th, so you still have time to download that one. It is a backwards compatible 360 game. It is a fighting game, and fighting is bad, so don't play it. Um, and that's going to do it for this week's episode of Xbox On. If you'd like to share your comments or thoughts about Gears 5, I'd love to hear them. If you'd love to share any comments or feedback about the show or Gears 5, I would love to hear it. Keep in mind, I'm always open to uh, including listener feedback, questions, comments in the show. So that's a thing you can do if for whatever reason you feel like reaching out to the slimy, scum, scummy son of a bitch. Um, and uh, be sure to follow me. Oh, rate my show on iTunes. Remember, five stars for me is five stars for thee. And you can't see it, but I'm pointing to you when I say that. Thanks so much for listening to the show. Follow me on Instagram. Follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Snapchat. And follow me on TikTok. You can find me on TikTok. I'm the guy doing all the really cool songs, the hip-hop songs. I do, like, I open my mouth and, like, I pretend to sing these songs, but I'm not even singing them. But you wouldn't know the difference because I... I look so good doing it. And, you know, I just think that's a really productive way to spend my youth. So follow me on TikTok, rate me five stars, and have a hell of a great Thursday, everyone. I'm going to see you next time. Yeehaw.